Hey, is this thing on? I am Queen's Hi everyone, my name is Alyssa, and you are listening to the All Things Pelvic Podcast, where you get to follow my life as a pelvic floor physical therapist. That may sound a little boring, but real quick, let me break it down. I bring up topics that most people find difficult to talk about, but maybe it's time we get comfortable with discussing the uncomfortable. I always strive for real talk, good vibes, and mostly all things pelvic. Join me and my guests as we discuss healthcare, culture, and real life topics. Are you ready? Because it's time to take a page out of my playbook. Hi everyone, welcome back to All Things Pelvic. We have made it through yet another week, (laughs) yet another week. And today I wanted to bring up topics of mental health. It's something that I include within most of my PT sessions and I have an awesome person here today. Esther, go ahead, (laughs) introduce yourself. Good morning. Yes, of course. So please, you know, tell us what you do. Tell us about your title, um, where you're based. Give me, give us some details just to get to know you a little better. And then I definitely have some questions for you. (laughs) Thank you. So my name is Esther Victoria Terivio. I am a Florida registered mental health counselor intern. So I'm pre-licensed in the state of Florida. I am... So I see clients, yeah, I have my own private practice. It's mm-hmm. called Striving Minds Network. Um, it was supposed to be a podcast, but then it turned into a private practice. So I'm like, <laughs> I think I could do both. Amazing. <laughs> uh, I see young adults ages 20 to 40 in the areas of anxiety, depression, uh, survivors of sexual abuse, religious trauma, and recovery for traffic survivors. So very specialized there. <laughs> very specialized there for sure. I um, I mean, similar to what I do. You know, like I'm in a very specialized field of pelvic floor. But I remember the last time we spoke, you know, I kind of like you just sparked for me. I, I honestly didn't know that there were mental health counselors that kind of specialized in just those niches. You know, I feel like mental health is such a huge umbrella and it is, it isn't exactly my umbrella. So I wasn't sure about where, you know, how many different things that can be included in that. So first question, how did you get into this line of work? Like what sparked that for you? Uh, well, it was in college. Mm-hmm. I took an elective intro to psychology. My major at the time was criminal justice. I had always wanted to work for the FBI, but it wasn't until after taking that class that I was like, I'm going to switch my major at this time. So I switched it to psychology. Mm -hmm. I got a bachelor's in psychology at Florida International University. And then I got a master's at Liberty International University in marriage and family therapy. And then I got another master's in counseling psychology. And now I'm in school um, at the Modern Sex Therapy Institutes to become a certified sex therapist. Okay. How many masters is that? I masters. <laughs> I just like, no. oh my gosh. I, I, um, 
I love learning. Yeah. I'm always a student. So if I'm not at school, I have to be getting a certificate or taking a webinar because. Which I think is great. I, I think is awesome because like clearly you're always on your toes, you know, like you're always on your toes and you, you know, for most things, it's like you kind of have to be for this line of work as well too, right? You like have to be always learning something. And I love that. I mean, so it was really just your psychology class that kind of changed things for you, changed the game a bit. It's weird how life works, how life works out like that. You know, you said you like always wanted to be in the FBI, but then something catches our interest and then we change the game a bit. Okay. So with what you're doing now, with what you're doing now, what are your typical sessions like? I know that's kind of like a loaded, I know that's a loaded question and we can go off into many, many different topics with that, but you know, are they like an hour long session? Do you kind of like, do you start with a phone call first? Like kind of, how does that work for you? So we normally do a 15 minute phone consultation. A lot of my clients are referrals. They've been referred by other colleagues. So we do the 15 minute consultation. I ask a couple questions like, what are you coming in for? How long have you had this, uh, the symptoms or how long have you been, ex been in this funk, so to speak. Um, and then, you know, I tell them, you know, a little bit about me, uh, sessions are an hour long. We discuss fees. Um, I do have a sliding scale. So sometimes people can't afford $150, you know, but yeah, they could afford 30 or, you know, based on income. Um, then after that, you know, uh, because of COVID, I am providing telehealth mm -hmm. right now. So I provide them forms, you know, informed consent, practice policies, just all these forms, and also a questionnaire that they have to fill out before session. Okay. Before session. So usually, once that's all filled out, session starts. Session starts. I usually take two two sessions for an intake. So asking questions from you know childhood childhood up until uh, present time medical history physical abuse history um drug and alcohol history uh sexual abuse history i even ask them questions about sex and their sexuality i also think that's another important component to incorporate into your intake um and then we just go on from there after the second session you know a lot of people are unpacking or they're not unpacking i'm just building rapport with my client i always want to make sure that my clients don't feel obligated that they have to share things that they don't want to share of course especially like right away sometimes you have to build that like relationship before and that happens like in in my sessions all the time too you know where i'm like you don't have to necessarily disclose everything in this one session however I could easily say with like 99% of my patients, like they end up disclosing more information as we keep going, you know, and as they get to know me. But I, yeah, definitely. That's great. That's awesome. Because it seems like, I mean, it seems like you're also very thorough, which I love, um, which I love too. And then I, you mentioned, you mentioned that you see pa um, clients, patients, you know, ages 20 to 40. Is there a reason why it's just that age bracket? Like, did you kind of, spe you know, pick that or yeah, is there, is there a reasoning for that? 
There is a reasoning for that because um, I have, in the past, I have uh, done community counseling where mm. I visit families and their children, and I have provided therapy for children and for teenagers. Um, there's just this notion of being independent. You know, you re- sure. reach a certain age, you know, sometimes kids and teens are in therapy because it's not their choice. Right. Right. It's like they don't want to open up. They do eventually open up, you know, and therapy is uh, to their benefit. But sometimes you could just tell by their affect and their just body cues that they just don't want to be there. So I want, for me personally, I want to treat people that they picked up their phone and said, I want to go to therapy. Right. Right. So you, yeah, you want them to have. Uh, there's a level of, okay, well, this isn't an obligation. I really genuinely want to go to therapy. Of course. And, uh, you know, that's very, very important because if somebody is forced into something, it usually you're not going to get the best benefit out of that um, for sure. Okay. I mean, that makes, that makes a lot more sense. Yeah. Cause when you said it, it kind of like it, I like in my head, I was like, wait, like, I wonder why, you know, I wonder why it's that, it's that age bracket. I, like you said, mental health is kind of a huge umbrella of different things. And I know you said, you know, like once you took that psychology course, it kind of just changed things and changed the game for you. Why specifically clients that have gone through, you know, sexual trauma? Um, Because I know that's a big part of it for you. That's actually how we connected, you know, is that we um, are talking about sex freely, you know, and, um, you know, and uh, people's sexuality and all of that. Why specifically that that niche? Well, um, (laughs) a lot of it has to deal with my personal life. Sure. Sure. Um, when I see my younger self, I didn't have that outlet to like talk to somebody. Mm-hmm. No. So I, I've mentioned it before. When I was five, I walked into somebody watching lesbian porn. Right. And that's, that's a, re- that's a result of sexual abuse. Mm-hmm. Cause uh, child sexual abuse doesn't necessarily have to be penetration or touching. Of or course. Grooming. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, child sexual abuse is, um, you know, mom has dildo out mm-hmm. in her bedroom and the child finds it. Right. So from neglect because the child doesn't know what that object is or grandpa has Playboy magazines, you know, in the bathroom. Right. Right. Finds, you know, so the child is exposed to explicit content right. uh, that their minds can't really grasp you know um so that happened when I was five and then when you know I approached an adult about it I got in trouble for it so (sighs) I'm not surprised I'm not surprised and then all you know throughout life I I understood that if something was bad or if I was doing something bad stay quiet Mm -hmm. mm-hmm So then, you know, I became that teenager that started watching porn because of what I was exposed to. I was like, okay, well, two women having sex or two women engaging in foreplay, I guess that's normal. You were curious. I was curious. Right. So I would watch um, lesbian porn, mm-hmm. you know, when I was young. Um, I 
learn to masturbate at a very young age and then all and then you know after and for um anyone listening i'm very like i know i'm i'm i know i'm in this field but i like letting people know that i'm human and i have experiences and i have a story you know thousand percent that's how i am too with my patients oh yeah and and honestly it's like I think um, I think it's okay to let people know that you're human as well, you know. So yeah, and thank you for sharing. You know, thank you for sharing these experiences too. So it it makes you know it makes complete sense. I do you think that it's due to culture and like things like that? Because I see your face right now. <laughs> if you guys could see Esther's face yeah. right now, we we're both like yeah, just in sync with that. I culture plays a huge role into these things like when you just said like oh I brought it up and like I got in trouble for it I'm like uh yeah you know that that makes complete sense that like you would get in trouble for it even though that was not your fault that you walked into something like you were not the one even as to say like even if you were the one watching it I mean not at five years old I do think that that's very young to be watching you know something like that but it is not your fault that you walked into it, you know, and then you had a question about it and then were reprimanded for it. So that is something that I always, I mean, it's something that I'm starting to kind of bring up in my posts and just in general, like lack of sex education. So I, yeah. And I I think that our experiences do mold what we end up doing for work and and stuff too. Like, um, you know, I am a pelvic floor PT and oddly enough, when I started getting into the field, started to notice that I have certain things going on with myself. And I was like, oh, that, uh, (laughs) that's why this is happening. And that makes sense now, but that, that makes complete sense. And then I'm sure if that started at five years old for you, that obviously led into your teenage years, your, your, your adulthood, you know, all of these things where you then wanted to explore and then wanted to change the game for people that wanted to explore those things too. Exactly. And I also think too, um, you know, given with everything, just teen risky behavior, you know, I became a sexually addicted teenager. Mm-hmm. So I was just I didn't, I didn't associate love with pleasure. I just associated love, I mean, pleasure with fun. Sure, sure. You know, so I did all of these things. And then as I'm getting into my adulthood, I look back to my past and I'm like, well, you know, here I am an adult with my child self that didn't have outlets, healthy outlets to talk about sex and sexuality and all of those things. Right. Because that sex talk didn't take place at home. I am Hispanic mm-hmm. and I was raised in a Christian household right. and it was just like, Oh, just wait for marriage. You know, that kind of. Talk. Yes. Yeah. And that is something where I'm starting to, one thing that I'm kind of working on is just building my resource list for, for my patients because Of course, I have many hats, you know, like I try to be the person that they talk to about this and that and all these things. But at the end of the day, there's only so much I could one do in one session, but I also need to kind of stick to my realm with, you know, with what I'm doing for them physically since I am a PT. But I started kind of making a resource list of like different sex therapists, mental health counselors, um, podcasts you can listen to, apps that you can go on, just different things. And it's something that I'm continuously working on um, to let my patients know that there are people out here that 
can help you with these things. Um, Because it is hard sometimes where like I do want to give certain advice, but at the end of the day, I don't have um, that true knowledge. You know, I might have like certain experiences and that's the only thing that I can kind of give you with that. But um, somebody like you would be able to help a bunch of patients of mine, you know, and I love that you said you're, you know, you're offering telehealth too, because I know you're based in Miami and, um, you know, that's what I think is kind of the beauty of kind of our world now is that like we do offer more telehealth sessions and people are able to find you a little yeah. bit more easier. Um, one so, thing, oh no, go, go ahead. So you had asked why that specific age group, given that I yeah. had, you know, been through all of these things as a child and teenager, 95%, right, mm -hmm. of child sexual abuse cases is preventable by yeah. sexual education, wow. right? So um, I believe the statistic is one in five girls mm. will be sexually abused before their 18th birthday. And sexual abuse could be through, sadly, a family member. A lot of sexual abuse cases is through incest. Sure. So imagine, I'm thinking about me exposed to porn, you know, I wasn't sexually abused as a child, but I'm thinking about that child or that teenager that has been sexually abused and likely because of the culture, they can't voice it out. Right. You know? And... I remember vividly in high school, a girl had committed suicide in school in the stairwell our senior year, and it was it came to, it came to find out the reasoning behind that her mother's boyfriend had been sexually abusing her. Oh. She told her mom her mom didn't believe her. Oh my gosh, she committed suicide. So and, and just imagine, you know, I mean. I I hear these stories in session, right? So a lot of times young adults are are finally talking about their childhood experiences. So I give my clients the space to talk about this. And usually it's their first time talking about it. So I oh, give yeah. clients the opportunity to share their narratives but also come back and regain their voice, regain that power that's within them. I'm like in awe of you right now. <laughs> I really am because I think what you do is so impactful and it's, you know, the, even just the fact that you're giving somebody the space in order to do that, even backtracking a little bit, those stats that you gave, those stats that you gave are, they're just alarming it's alarming um it's sad that this that's even a thing um but i think we kind of share that where we are kind of the first people that people disclose certain things to with my line of pt at least um we're the first people that they're kind of like this is what's going on and i think a lot of the time say if you do try to tell a friend or even a family member whatever it is you might not get the response that you necessarily want to hear or or somebody might not listen to you know and i'm not saying that this is everybody but that family member that friend they might just say oh it's all in your head oh you and just kind of not let you get out what you need to get out. 
which is why I think it's so important to have a safe space for these people to just let just let somebody listen to what's going on and unpack it and just you know unveil some of these things that unfortunately is probably so buried and I'm sure you see that. I, I'm sure you see that all the time where people then have realizations where they're just like, oh my gosh, wait, this actually happened when I was this age or um, maybe that's why with this boyfriend or girlfriend that things didn't work out because I was so in my head about all these other different things. So I think it's such a beautiful thing that you you know, let let people into your space like that. It's great. And given with what you just mentioned that, you know, clients do have the realization of like, oh my gosh, you're not, you're right. Oh my gosh, that actually did happen. Yeah. A lot of sexual abuse survivors, like, you know, it, narrative, ther- uh, narrative therapy just comes in, in, in steps and sessions because a lot of times going back to the traumatic experience maybe triggering of course flashbacks that's why we do a lot of grounding work mindful meditation as well in session to you know allow the client to get back to the here and now but oftentimes a lot of sexual abuse survivors throughout the years because they haven't verbally shared the experience or experiences they block it off yes yes they almost convince themselves that it didn't take place but then they start realizing, okay, well, I'm having painful sex. Mm-hmm. My pelvic floor is a little loose. Yes. Or, you know, having a penis inside me, so to speak, is traumatizing. Yes. And then start realizing that these triggering events or even opening up in romantic relationships or relationships in general, they're like, okay, something, something's wrong. This isn't normal you know, and then when we go session by session, there'll be moments of like, oh my gosh, wait, that happened when I was five, you know, so we process it through and it's, I don't per se have a timeline, you know, because with um, uh, therapy relating to sexual abuse survivors, that's on their timeline. Always, always. Months could be six months. You know, imagine you're un- unpacking something traumatic that took place in the client's life. Right. Of it course. healing process. Yeah. And that is something I think I have to answer every time I have a new patient. Like, how long do you think this is going to take? And I always say, like, everybody is very different. Like, can I tell you how long it takes for, like, muscle tissue to build up? Sure. You know, like, or, you know, like how long it takes for, you know, maybe this muscle spasm to go away. But at the end of the day, it's really up to, like you said, that patient or client's timeline. And there shouldn't be this like, oh, in four weeks, you're going to be better. Mm, No, (laughs) that's never the case. And you said something um, that kind of sits with me a little bit too, but you said, you know, a lot of the times when clients kind of bring up like, oh, you know, like when a penis is inside of me, like that's when I get, you know, some there's a trigger or when I'm maybe touched here. So that's something that I do ask in detail with my patients as well. And I always say, I'm like, if you don't want to disclose this right now, that's completely okay. But the more information that I have, you know, the more that I can also help you. Um, 
And a lot of the times when there's physical touch to, first of all, the, the areas that I work with are vulnerable no matter what. Uh, even if somebody may not have been sexually abused or, or isn't holding a certain trauma, they're vulnerable anyway. So there's an emotional component that also comes along with it where sometimes my patients cry and, and it's not even because they're in pain. It's just because like somebody's finally kind of like paying attention to what they've been experiencing. And then, you know, there's an emotional affect that comes along with that. But now you have like my patients who may have been sexually abused and there's trauma there, like it takes time to work on that muscle tissue and to decrease any muscle spasms that might be there to build up the strength to even want to work in those areas. I, um, I use a lot of different like desensitization kind of techniques where it's like if like my finger isn't on you like let's maybe place yours on you and let and like let's see what that feels like with me even working on your thighs you know before I then go into an area that's a little bit more vulnerable whether that's rectal vaginal whatever might be triggering for that patient like let's maybe have you do it I can, you know, just touch close to the area to see what's going on there to kind of build up that relationship as well too. So it's um I think most healthcare practitioners of course hear about somebody that may have been abused and things, but with our line of work, I I think um uh, <laughs> we hear it of course all the time, all the time. Yeah. And personal question for you, for you. We we deal with some heavy stuff on our yeah. on our day to day. You know, how how do you kind of mentally take care of yourself throughout sure. throughout your days. I have a therapist. Great. <laughs> a lot, you know, it's not to say that like your work is better than mine or mine's is better than yours. Of like, course. And, you know, like I said earlier, we all have our experiences. We all have our stories. And it's really important to talk to somebody who's not going to judge you and someone that's not going to be biased. Yes. That's why always important to see a healthcare professional or a mental health professional because a lot of times like what you mentioned earlier like you know if you disclose with a friend or a family member you're not gonna necessarily hear what what exactly you want to hear it's gonna be biased of course of course know you um so yes i see a therapist and I am the boundaries queen, okay? So <laughs> the moment I clock out from sessions, uh-huh. I don't, I mean, I'll do my notes, but like, I don't think about work for the rest of the evening. Amazing. Or even on the weekends. I don't see clients on the weekends. So on the weekends, it's me time. I spend time with my loved ones, my family. Like, I, I literally block it off. Yeah, and no, I don't, you know, I have my week plans, but like, I don't like, it's, for example, it's Friday, right? right? I'm not going to think about what I have to do next Friday, that each day has its own worries. So I'm only going to focus on the here and now and and today. Of course. Oh, yeah. No, no, it definitely does. And I think that most practitioners do need to learn that too you know like they they have to kind of learn how to navigate your week um 
we can only help so much when like we can't give more. It, it's it's hard, you know, when you're the, when you if you get drained, you know, at the end of the day. To any of my patients listening, you know, like I love you, <laughs> I love you, and I love helping you. However, I have a life of my own too. You know, like I do. You know, I do have a life of my own. So like, if we do get an email or something, you know over the weekends and stuff, I, you know, I do see it sometimes, you know, and I see it and I'm like, no, 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 I have to, I have to wait until Monday. You know, I have to wait until Monday and then I will answer you back and I will wholeheartedly answer you back too, you know, and give all the information that I need to give to you. And, um, I always think it's important. I think it's something that's not asked, um, a lot. It's like, how do we also take care of us? And, um, I think that's just as important. That's just as important because if we're going to help people, my friend has said something to me that has always stuck with me, but you can't pour from an empty cup. If your cup is empty and you don't have anything more to give, you know, we, you're overwhelmed, you're burnt oh. out, you're out of like mental space. Yeah. And that's mm. why I promote self-care. Always, self-care. yes. And I see that you do. You're always promoting self-care. <laughs> Taking a walk, a little bike ride, reading, right? Anything. Create your bathtub as like a spa oasis. You know, you can have the background noise, candles lit. Hey, if you want to masturbate, that's a form of self-care too, okay? (laughs) Uh, Damn well. (laughs) Damn, damn straight it is. If you want to use your fingers or you want to use your favorite toy. Yes, anything, anything. I tell my, you know, it's funny with what you just said too. You're like self-care, you know, reading a book, all these things. And I remember saying it to a patient once and she goes, I don't like any of that. I go, okay, talk to me. What do you like? I was like, what do you like doing? I was like, you have a favorite like trash TV show? Watch it. Like whatever, you know, whatever it is that you want to do. Like a guilty pleasure of mine. Um, I know a lot of people don't like Times Square, especially people that live in the city. But right now, it, it is getting busier. Uh, but during, you know, quarantine and stuff, like, it was dead. And it was kind of like a weird thing that I did. Like, I would go take a walk over there because I only – I live, like, five blocks away from there. And I, I would go take a walk through there, and I loved – that weird silence that was, you know, kind of in this part of the city that is usually so hustling and bustling. And it was kind of like, it like calmed me down. You know, it was a, it was a good like form of self-care for me. Um, So yeah, like you said, whether it's masturbating, reading a book, like whatever, whatever you want to do, just, just go for it. And And you're disconnect because sometimes we want to incorporate other people in our self-care. Yes. No, and that, can sometimes get distracted distracting so if you want to watch a movie and put your headphones on and just disconnect and like you know be in the ocean with the movie or whatever yeah. like that's just your time you know totally. allow people to also respect your space yes always that I mean that's number one that's number one now I actually spoke with a friend this week kind of about that. Uh, Me and him kind of got into a big conversation on how sometimes we do rely on certain people to kind of get you out of a funk or to you just rely on them too much, which is that's also life. You know, like we have our people. We have our people that we go to that do make us feel better. Um, It might not be sometimes what we want to hear, but what we also talked about was how Sometimes that can kind of be toxic and the more that you can get yourself out of a funk with doing certain things, um, 
whatever it is, whatever it is, if you can do it, that's one of the most important things and not like relying on somebody fully, even if this person is your spouse, your significant other, your best friend, who whatever it is, like if you can get yourself out of it, that's kind of a form of self-care that is one, not very common. It's not common, but it's also a very beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. Well, with that being said, talk to my listeners about where they can find you, you know, your contact information, guys, you know, like, of course, I'm going to put it in the description. I'm going to post about Esther for a week straight before this podcast episode is released. But I truly and I just I want to say this before you do that. But I, I'm, I'm truly inspired by what you do. There's not many times where I get flustered over my words, like how I just did. (laughs) because I can talk to whoever, but, um, I really do get inspired by people like you. And I know some people might say that even about what I do, you know, but, but I, I like to remind practitioners about that as well. Like you are doing something so great for people. And I love that you are also taking care of yourself too, because I know that this type of work can be heavy. You know, it can be very, very heavy, but at the end of the day, you're helping so many people with, trauma that they're probably holding in for a really really long time and you're finally that outlet for these people so I applaud you for that I do thank you that means so much to me how yeah. sweet <laughs> yeah of course now where I can people your work too because <laughs> dealing with people's intimate areas yeah and you know I'm sure you reach you well your clients reach a level of trust with you to touch them there they definitely do they definitely do and I I definitely think that for both of us like it definitely takes a certain person to like want to listen to get into this line of work and luckily now there are more of us too which is great and I think that's where I love social media you know and uh different ways that you can connect with people so tell us how we can connect with you Sure, absolutely. So you can definitely find me on my website, www.strivingmindsnetwork.com. You could find me on Twitter, strive with just the W, Esther. You could find me on Instagram, at strive with Esther. I post a lot of stuff regarding sexual abuse, sex positivity, just just great content on Instagram. <laughs> it is great content. Therapy, but it is stuff that, you know, you could do on your own. Um, and then you could also find me on my pod- podcast as well. <laughs> uh, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Podbean. And you just type Striving Minds. Um, but, you know, that's pretty... I do, I do want to mention one more thing that I forgot to mention. Because yes. I know you... Have- like okay so why psychology what was it specifically yeah yeah. about you know my own personal journey but I forgot to mention that the reason why I wanted to continue to pursue psychology and specifically work with sexual abuse survivors is because in 2012 I packed my bags and I went to India oh my gosh yes yes you did And we provide, our team of women, we provided basic skills, you know, abortion awareness, STD awareness for um, survivors 
of sex trafficking, yeah. but we also provided these workshops and these um, basic skill opportunities for women who were currently sex workers. Right. You know, so, you know, there are people that are survivors of sexual abuse, but there are people that, you know, sex work is their work. Yes. So it's yes. Not like they are sex slaves. Like they, they're, they need to put food on their table and that's, you know, that's their choice, you know? So you see that a lot in third world countries, but you see that a lot here, especially in Florida, New York, California, and Texas. Those are the four top states where you have a lot of sex trafficking. So kids and teens being sold into slavery, but you also have, you know, these four states where there's a lot of sex work, whether it's through the strip clubs, the porn industry, these are women and men that have consented to sell their bodies for sex for money. Right. You know? I did want to definitely throw that in there that um, because of the staggering statistics, you know, in third world countries and seeing, you know, working with sex workers, you know, or survivors of sex trafficking, that just like, bumped up I guess of course of uh providing uh recovery services for traffic survivors totally I mean having experiences like that really do solidify that like even if it was hard which it obviously is you know even if it was hard it just solidifies like okay this is why I want to do what I'm doing. And I, and I like that you mentioned there that, yes, even though, you know, you were helping people who survived sex trafficking, you know, and you were helping them kind of get through that trauma, you also worked with sex workers who were, who are, you know, giving their consent in order to do, you know, these things in order to make money and to just like educate them on, you know, different things about sex. And I think, that's just amazing. That's just amazing. And I think that I I'm sh- I can't even imagine how much like that experience molded you into who you are today and like with the advice that you now give your clients as well. Yeah. And twice. I went twice. So I yeah. went in 2012, I went in 2014 as like a follow-up. You know, it was a church mission trip. Sure. But I you know, we were still able to apply basic life skills aside from religion for these women, um, you know, and we went into the red light districts. So yeah. it, it was like almost Calcutta like, mm-hmm. you know, where it's like just communities of just brothels, right? You know, so it's like in and out sex. And, you know, it definitely was a culture shock because, you know, in the United States, it's more glamorized. We yes. have our F words, we have our strip joints, you know, I'm sure there's brothels out there, you know, but it's all glamorized. It's not like, you know, when you go to a third world country, it's not as, I mean, it it looks a little bit more run down because of the communities, because of the poverty too. So it just, it looks different, but, um, at the end of the day, trafficking is still trafficking, right? So like you could be in a poor area or you could be in a multi-million dollar area, you know? So the same thing. Yeah, trafficking is still trafficking and sex work is still sex work. You know, if sexual intercourse, foreplay, oral, whatever it is, you know. So, I mean, sex is just sex. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. At the end of the day, at the, you know, whether, like you said, whether you're you know, a multimillionaire, at, you know, working with poor areas, it's just like, it's the same thing. And, yeah. oh, yeah. thank you for being on here. I think it was honestly, it was really insightful. And I just, I feel like I learn a lot from you every time I talk to you. <laughs> I love it. No, same, same. We both are. So I think it's just, yeah, good fit for sure. But thank you so much for being on here. I will, you know, write in my description where people can find you. I'm going to post about you and everything. And I hope you guys learned something today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you guys so much for listening to the All Things Pelvic Pod. Have questions, concerns, comments, want to share your story? Remember to follow me on Instagram at the underscore pelvic floor playbook. DM me, share my stuff, like it, and let me know what you think. As a reminder, this is not medical advice by any means, so don't be out here doing a bunch of nonsense in these streets. If you need me and want a vibe, you know where to find me. I'm out.